there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of the Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Hey everybody, I just wanted to take a minute before your podcast starts to talk about something very important to me. Black Lives Matter. I, Sarah Strumming, am committed to anti-racism and the companies that I oversee, the Cognitive Canine and Cogdog Radio, are also committed to anti-racism. I recognize my privilege here and I recognize that I have a platform where I can use my voice and I intend to do so in such a way that combats systemic racism because it absolutely affects the field of dog training and it's time that everybody with a platform uses it for good. I'm going to link a list of resources for ways that you can support Black, Indigenous, and people of color and also just some educational resources that I've found helpful in my anti-racism journey. And I hope that we can all stand together to dismantle racism in dog training and therefore in the world. Cheers. Hey guys, I'm doing a new program that I'm calling Wednesday Night Chats. This is a Facebook Live that'll be happening every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific on my business page, which is on Facebook. It is facebook.com slash thecognitivecanine. I hope that you'll join me over there. We're going to be talking about basically all things what to do with dogs in a pandemic. How do we prepare our dogs for when our lives go back to normal? How do we socialize puppies right now? And if we can't get out to do a decompression walk, what are we supposed to do? So join me over there. It's a free program, but I am accepting donations for it. All the details will be included each week. So that's facebook.com slash the cognitive canine Wednesday nights at 5 p.m. See you there. Hi friends, I have a special guest with me today, Ayoka Bubar. Um, She is a certified professional dog trainer, knowledge assessed. She's got experience training everything from reactive dogs to competitive rally obedience. She really believes in a fun and low stress experience for dogs and their people. And she's committed to positive reinforcement. Her personal dogs are Rottweilers, and I've been recently enjoying watching her herding success with them on social media. I invited Ayoka to chat with me today because of a blog she wrote entitled Nine Ways to Welcome BIPOC at Dog Shows and Trials. And just for everybody's information, BIPOC is an acronym that stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. Ayoka, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Ayoka, let's start with everyone's favorite topic. Tell me about your dogs. Okay, I have uh, two Rottweilers in my house right now. I have Epic. She is seven. Um, She is actually my first purebred Rottweiler. And she is everything that I asked for. um, And then more. Uh, She's my first show dog. So the first dog I've ever done confirmation with. What's really cool about her is when I was uh, operating a dog daycare, she kind of grew up there. So she is my dog that can speak dog and helps me sort of evaluate what's going on with other dogs because she's very tolerant and she reads dogs really well. Um, we have done rally obedience together, herding, as you mentioned, 
Um, I've done some tracking training with her, some carding training with her. Um, the best thing about her is she's very, very sweet and very, very biddable. So um, she's really been a joy um, to have, uh, to own and to work with. Um, Saga is Epic's daughter. She will be three next month. And I often joke that maybe uh, because Saga was born by a cesarean section that um, she might have been switched out with another Rottweiler at birth because she is um, as far from her mother as she could be. Um, of course. She, she is absolutely very sweet. But, um, you know, if I wanted, you know, I always said, you know, I, I wanted a dog exactly like Epic. But if Epic's like a six, I wanted a dog closer to a nine or a 10 and Saga would be closer to like an 11 or a 12 sort of on the energy <laughs> and drive. Um, but the thing about Saga is she is ex like very similar to my, my very first uh, Rottweiler bear who was a rescue in that high prey drive really wants to please, um, you know, is could make a thousand mistakes and still be sort of um, willing to try and go again. Um, and that's been really fun um, to play with uh, because she's just a little bit more, a little bit different. She's matured more slowly. So we're just getting started now with her in herding and um, in Mondio uh, is trying out some bike ah, stuff with her. So fun. Oh, it's, it's my first time doing any bite sports with a dog and it is a rabbit hole I could spend days in. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's, it's fascinating. Um, we have a decoy uh, locally to us that's originally from the Philippines. He, um, he used to be a French ring decoy and he's recently discovered um, R plus training. So um, he and I have had a, a, a lot of fun um, working together and learning from each other. And um, Saga is a perfect dog for me to learn that with. So those are the two girls that I have with me right now. That's fantastic. Mondia Ring is so interesting. So fun. That's it, great it, and cool with the helper that you guys are learning kind of together. Yeah, it's um, it's it's just amazing. You know, like he's so enthusiastic. He'll call me. He's like, let's train. You know, so. <laughs> That's um, so good. It's, it's so awesome um, because I do train a lot. Uh, by myself because I'm usually the only one in my area doing a lot of things. It's, it's so awesome to have just some support and enthusiasm and um, you know, that counts, that counts for a lot these days. Gosh, it does. <laughs> it really does. Mm. So you've got a ton of training experience. You mentioned you used to run a dog daycare. How, how did that happen? How did you get into training? Well, my, um, First dog bear is what we would describe as a reactive dog. Um, he, you know, pretty high energy. Uh, I started him, of course, because this is the, the most brilliant thing to start a reactive dog in. I started him in fly ball classes. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, that went well for us until it didn't. And he wasn't necessarily dog aggressive in the fly ball lanes but you know there could be that instant that another dog would catch his eye and he would chase and nobody likes a rottweiler chasing another dog in fly ball lanes <laughs> no one likes another dog chasing no. other dogs right like that you know dogs yeah. have been um you know severely injured and died in fly ball lanes with that crossover because it's high speed high energy you know a 90 pound dog versus maybe their height dog you know it's just too risky so that was on the East Coast. My partner's in the military. So um, kind of when I was trying to figure that out, you know, how do I 
train my dog to work better in fly ball because that's the only sport I knew at the time. We ended up getting posted to where we live now, which is Carberry, Manitoba, smack dab in the middle of Canada. And so I, I didn't feel it would be fair or easy to come in with a reactive dog to a new fly ball club and say, hey, solve all our problems. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to let fly ball go as a sport. But um, here we did have a trainer that was teaching rally classes. And that's something I didn't have access to on the East Coast. So I thought, you know what, we're going to try rally. I had done some obedience like at the pre-novice level, but uh, which would be like the beginner novice in APC. Mm -hmm. And um, the stays there are one minute and 30 seconds. But, um, you know, longer stays, I kind of, you know, with reactivity, wasn't comfortable with 100%. So obedience wasn't in there. But rally, I thought rally could be really fun and we could really enjoy that. So I went to classes with, well, a woman named uh, Rini Wilf. Um, she had been teaching at the local club and had just sort of branched off into her own training business. And um, I really enjoyed classes with her. And I took a couple sessions of classes um, and she had been having um, not necessarily reactivity, but some other issues with her short hair pointer, Bella. And um, we kind of both discovered control unleashed at the same time. So we did a lot of work with both of our dogs, um, working through the control unleashed stuff so that we could sort of perform at rally trials because both of our dogs could do the exercises, but struggled with the environment. So after we yeah. worked through that together, she said, you know what, I think you have some really good skills. How would you feel about um, teaching a class on your own? And um, I kind of just jumped at that. I have have years of experience teaching. Um, I kind of grew up in music and had taught music probably since I was 15 years old. I also grew up in rugby and I coached rugby at the middle school and high school level. So um, teaching people wasn't new to me, just the dog stuff was. And now I had some experience with the dog stuff. So um, I just kind of jumped on that. And um, there, when the daycare that she was teaching at closed, I started thinking, because I was working at retail, that, geez, you know, I think I could operate a dog daycare. And I think that would be fun to, to try a business um, versus working, quote unquote, for the man. And mm -hmm. um, she and I um, ended up opening a business together. And we did our um, CPDT hours and exam at the same time. Um, so, uh, you know, I really credit her with um, recognizing my skills and encouraging me. Um, you know, encouraging her as well. We kind of, again, I talk about having that support um, that we just sort of, you know, she was a leader and that she um, had more experience in dog training, but we really um, learned and grew as trainers a lot together. So that's the that's short fantastic. story. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, right? I think so many trainers have a similar timeline in the sense that they had a problematic dog. And so they got really involved in training to try to help that dog. Um, and I love that you've got so much teaching background. I bet you're a fantastic instructor because that is the part that I think so many dog trainers are really missing. I would agree. So that's, yeah, that's just fantastic. And that really explains why you're so committed to kind of both ends of the leash, having a positive experience. Yeah. And I would say the human end is, is the hardest part honestly. And, and, truly. and kind of the most important part, like yes. that's really who you're teaching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Um, it's not necessarily natural for me. Um, yeah. 
I've had to do my own learning and I've sure, I've sure made mistakes and it probably hasn't been positive for every student that's ever come into my classroom ever. Um, but that's sort of where I find myself spending more time and effort and learning um, so that, um, you know, I can help those people because, you know, when you've had that dog that's problematic, you know how how awful it is to have that dog and to know that people are watching you and judging you and the guilt that goes along with that. And um, yeah. for me, you know, I really want um, people to understand that, you know, all these things, I say normal, you know, all these things, uh, lots of people go through all of these things and, you know, I can't tell people not to feel guilty, but I certainly can share that we all feel guilty and, you know, we all just do the best that we can in any given moment that's important to me is that people don't feel alone I love that and I actually think that segues beautifully into my next question which is that I want to dive into this blog you wrote what compelled you to write it well I could I could go you know how far back should I go um, I did before <laughs> this um, write a blog about how to support black and indigenous people of color dog training and dog sport friends, just a general support blog. Um, that would have been beginning of June. Um, and as you know, in the in online dog training communities, there's been a lot of discussion of this, which I think is partially um, a result of what's going on uh, primarily in the U.S., but also I would say you know Canada and North America with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, mm -hmm. I just think culturally, this is. Um, concept, an idea that's at the forefront of our minds right now. And um, it's, it's sort of spilled over into dog training. And then a few specific events have really highlighted that um, maybe we're not doing the great job of being inclusive that um, we'd like to tell ourselves that we are. Um, so I wrote that first one about, um, you know, sort of just listening and understanding and not um, speaking over or speaking for people of color. And then um, a month later, <clears throat> I felt we were, we were kind of still having those same conversations and clutching our pearls and pulling our hair. Oh my God, it's so <laughs> awful. Um, and that makes me, that makes me, I, I know it's an ableist term. It makes me crazy. It really bothers me because um, it's, it's not really productive actually. You know, yeah. um, and I was also kind of getting tired about talking of my crappy experiences being a person of color. Um, you know, every time we talk about it, we relive it. And um, that's really hard emotionally. Um, and then um, I actually had uh, I was talking to Perry Inger, who um, is a breeder of Epic and co-breeder of Saga. Um, she's. A wonderful like everything a person could want in a breeder and a wonderful friend and easily the kindest person I know and so we were talking about these issues because we're friends and you know it doesn't necessarily bother me to talk about it with friends but you know to be talk about other hard things publicly does does become a bit exhausting so we were discussing and she was asking questions and I was you know explaining things that maybe she didn't have quite the nuanced understanding of and um, and she was listening and hearing me and we were probably on the phone for about four hours. And after we had discussed sort of, you know, what, what institutionalized racism meant for dog people, she, she said to me, so 
America, what, you know, if I saw a person of color at the next dog show, like, what would I do? And it kind of shocked me for a moment. And I said, well, you would just, you would be your kind self. You know, you would be as kind to that person as you are to anybody else. And she's like, you know, I really don't really extend myself in those situations, you know, because you have, you know, we all know we have our routines, you know, for us and our dogs to get us through a trial day. And we stick really closely to those routines because they do get us through things. And I thought, wow, if the kindest person I know is asking me this, (laughs) then um, other people don't even know that they should be asking the question. (laughs) Yes, totally. And and I'm serious. Like, she is so kind. You know, she's someone that I I look up to in kindness, you know, um, because uh, that's just who she is. So um, I thought, you know, if this isn't something that naturally comes to her, then um or that she's sort of grasping then we need to talk about it the other side is i know she's um what we would describe as an introvert and i'm like the biggest e extrovert um (laughs) so there are differences in how how we approach things in that scenario too so um i have a lot it seems i call it my introvert collection um i seem to have a lot of introvert friends (laughs) Mostly, yes. um, which I always laugh at, but then people tell me, no, that's good because it means you're, you're quite respectful of them and they, you know, they kind of hang around and you're, you're able to recognize boundaries and those differences. So I thought, you know, um, we need to talk about this. Um, so that's why I started. I wrote the blog. Okay. So I think what I'd like to do is dive in. Like I said, there's nine different steps that we can all take. So we're going to discuss each step. Um, and like you mentioned, I'm an introvert and I read this and I went, oh, wow. Like I, I don't talk to anyone (laughs) ever, (laughs) but this is so important. And this is something that every single one of these is something I am a hundred percent capable of doing. And I, I am grateful that you wrote it. So we're going to start with number one, make eye contact, smile, say good morning, or hello. Gosh, that seems so obvious, but clearly it's not. So talk about it. It's not. And before we go through this list, you know, um, I, I don't want people to read this list and be like, oh my God, I can't, I can't do these nine things. <laughs> yes. I just can't. Obviously, um, we need to work at our comfort level, but I think, um, I think we could look at these as nine skills, right? Um, yeah. We get better at things that we practice. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, Some of our, I mean, we know training dogs (laughs) that behaviors are absolutely skills. So um, that's how I would encourage people to look at this is I'm going to try something new. So to me, if you can go to a trial and try one of these things and be successful and make a connection, then you would get 100% on my, you know, pop quiz on how you did it. Yeah, it's like... Absolutely. Dr. Susan Friedman says celebrate approximations, right? Mm -hmm. So let's celebrate each approximation of moving towards, you know, one of these nine steps. So yeah, Yeah. and you can and I would say, you know, you could be fully there in wanting to support um, people of color, but you know, maybe need some to work on approximations in in showing that, you know, I'm not I, I, I feel conflicted about you know approximations of being not racist I kind of feel like you are or you are <laughs> I agree with that 
But, you know, insofar as those behaviors and showing that, I absolutely think that we can sort of, you know, CBT ourselves into maybe being more supportive. So um, say hi, smile, make eye contact. It's so simple. You know, I know when I go to a dog show, I have, you know, we've got our timings down to the, you know, quarter of a second. I'm going to arrive at this time. I'm going to take my dog outside to exercise him at this time. I know I need to be ready for the ring at this time. So I know in our heads and because trialing, um, I think even for people that enjoy it, (laughs) um, you know, the ring experience is, is stressful. So we depend on our, our routines. And I think that can be a bit detrimental. You know, once we go into autopilot, we're not necessarily looking around. So saying good morning could be as simple as someone holds the door open for you and you're on your way in with a crate. Hello, good morning. It could be that simple, yeah. right? Um, someone, you're on your way to the loo and someone's on their way out. Hello, good morning. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say you could probably say that to anybody, not just people of color, but if you're going to make an effort and, you know, start with your approximation, you know, choose where maybe it might be most um, important or impactful. Um, so um, choose those times, maybe go early so that you don't feel as stressed, maybe plan, hey, I'm going to show up 10 minutes early so that um, if I happen to go by somebody or have contact with someone that I can give myself the time to sort of be present with them and acknowledge that they are there. Um, because I can tell you as um, just a new exhibitor period, um, when I started showing my girls, um, I really, I, I don't think it was necessarily race-based, but I really did feel invisible because nobody knows you. Everybody else there has friends that they're chatting with. And, um, you know, we naturally stick with our friends. That's just what humans are. But as a new person, you can feel invisible. And I could see, you know, maybe that going on for quite a while might be turning some people off to the sport that maybe don't have um, support in other areas of their life. I think so. I think I definitely remember when I first started going to dog shows, it felt a little bit like the high school cafeteria. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It felt a little bit like everybody had friends to sit with and I didn't. (laughs) Um, certainly. So let's dive into number two, which is give an honest compliment. It's easy. Giving somebody a compliment is probably, in my opinion, the easiest way to make um, connection. I say honest because, um, people know when you're, when you're being fake, like they just know. Absolutely. They know, um, you know, it, they know it. Don't, don't fool anybody. Sorry. I just have two Rottweilers that instantly need to be in my lap. Um, So, you know, if somebody has uh, a lovely dress, I think I use dog shows because that's sort of my my newest, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the newest experience where I struggled a lot um, is somebody has a lovely outfit or cool shirt. Oh, my goodness. I love that shirt. You know, um, somebody's dog say, you know, here's what I get with the Rottweilers. Oh, my goodness. It's so nice to see fit Rottweilers. I love it when people say that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because it's something um, that's important to me. Because my dogs aren't just show dogs; they they have to be out in a herding arena for fifteen minutes working. You know, sheep that you know really don't want to be worked sometimes. So, um, you know, that's something um, that I've done. Or you, I mean, you could compliment. There's so many things you could compliment someone's out. I I, I pick outfits because that's a choice, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You know, I, I tend to stay away from maybe things that are not a choice. Um, I would say a hairstyle is a choice. Yeah. Um, curly or straight hair isn't so much a choice, right? Like, well, yeah. I mean, it can be, but it's not. Um, say someone has, you know, awesome hair color. I love that hair color. Um, oh, that leash is lovely. Where'd you get it? You know, just simple things. Um, it means you're noticing somebody. Um, and I just see a compliment as, as a positive um, interaction. And if it's honest, I can promise you it won't come across as weird. Where it comes across as weird is if um, if you are um, maybe not being honest. And you, if you don't buy the compliment, the person you're complimenting isn't going to buy the compliment, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, if it's contrived, it's, it doesn't feel good. And yeah. I know it feels it feels really positive to me to give somebody an honest compliment, honestly. Like yes. that's one that is self-reinforcing, I think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, you know, um, because when you give an honest compliment and you see that person's face light up, you know, um, I don't care whether you're introvert or extrovert. Um, we are wired to enjoy that. Yes. Um, I was just going to say we're hardwired to appreciate somebody else's joy. Yeah. We are. Yeah, absolutely. We are. Okay, I love this next one, especially it applies big time for my world of dog agility. Watch their run. Bonus points for clapping or cheering. Yes. So again, new person confirmation. You know, everyone else gets claps. Nobody gets, we go in, no claps. Um, I don't have it so much um, in herding with the Rottweilers because everybody wants to see what the Rottweilers are going to do, right? Like in herding, we have that... um, we have that novelty factor, if you will. So, um, and I don't think people want to see, you know, oh my God, I can't wait to see this wreck. I think they're actually interested in seeing how yeah. Rottweilers work because they don't get an opportunity to see them. So <clears throat> when you have that, you know, if you're all just standing there staring quietly and then, you know, we do our run and leave the ring and it's just dead silence when we leave the ring, it's, it's a little intimidating, right? So, um, you know, watching a run, you know, appreciating it, um, clapping at the end of the run, however they did, um, you know, whether it's a hundred percent successful or not. Um, I think you're acknowledging that someone is out there and they are, um, you know, walking into a ring and performing is vulnerable. I don't care who you are, how experienced you are. You're putting yourself out there. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I see clapping as recognition for the fact that you went out there and you put yourself out there, um, and you put your training sort of to the test on that day. And it deserves clapping or cheering no matter what your performance Absolutely. Like. Because it really it's, does. It's, it's, it's equally as hard in those first few seconds <laughs> to get out there yes. and do it, um, whether your run is successful or not, right? Like yes. <laughs> getting out there is probably the hardest part. And, um, you know, if you can do that um, and, and can get support for that, then it makes the rest just a little bit easier. Um, so, you know, if you see somebody that's maybe not from your area and you know, they don't happen to be traveling with anybody, take a few seconds, you know, watch, I mean, in agility, it literally is a few seconds. It literally is very fast. (laughs) Do you not have 30 seconds to watch a jumpers run? You know, ask yourself that, you know, how busy are you? Um, um, you know, if they're directly, you know, a dog or two ahead of you, well, maybe you need to manage your dog's run. Um, but if you are, um, you know, if you have the opportunity, it, it is a few seconds. It is, it is. And it's important. And okay. So the next one is 
offer to videotape their run or take pictures. And that is actually so nice when somebody offers to film because it's so hard to like, it's like the stress of tracking someone down to film and everything else on top of everything. So I love that one. Talk about that one a little bit. Right. So, you know, this is me talking about my introvert friends, not just of asking, but like you're an introvert. So like, who the heck are you going to ask? You don't know anybody here. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. You know, uh, so uh, actually what I generally do a lot um, is, <laughs> and, you know, maybe this is good or not, is if I happen to see it, I just videotape it um, mm-hmm. and I just take pictures. And then after the fact, I'll say, hey, you know what? I saw you and I took some video. Would you like me to send it to you? Yeah. You know, would, you like so nice. would, would you like me to send it to you or delete it? Right. Because I can I yeah. can do both instantly because, you know, for those of us that train on our own, Video is our primary, um, you know, form of feedback um, and seeing how we do. And sometimes, you know, maybe that happened. You don't know. If you don't know that person, that could be, you know, the last leg they needed for their atch or for a certain title. Mm -hmm. And if it's a fabulous run and they don't have it, you know, sometimes having those uh, captured moments um, can mean a lot. Um, And especially down the road, you know, when you don't have those dogs anymore, Um, A really good friend of mine, um, Kate McKinnon, said, you know, make sure when I got Epic as a puppy, she said, make sure you get lots of pictures with your dog. Because in 15 years, that's going to be all that you have. And, you know, don't feel like, you know, you don't look good because you won't care about that in 15 years. (laughs) You'll just care about those moments that you have. So um, I tend to do a lot of that. And, you know, I'm not a professional photographer by any means. But if I have the opportunity to take photos for anybody, um, but again, if you're doing your approximations, um, I, I I take them and I let people know that I have them and share them however I can. It's really good. It really makes you feel, it makes you feel seen basically yeah. that somebody cared and uh, they were watching you, number one, and they taped you or took pictures. Yeah, they is, just took, is really great. took the time, you know, to know yeah. that. I mean, it's, it's stuff that's important to all of us, really. Like I, I always say, like, that's not really rocket science here but it's just thinking outside of our own little bubble totally I think that's actually kind of the thing that we have to point out is that we get too wrapped up in our own experience and our own agenda Mm -hmm. to take the time to help others feel welcome I think that happens to everybody absolutely and 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 of course like I say that without judgment because I'm I know I'm guilty of it um myself at times but to me, like this list was really, you know, what would I like if I went out there? Um, what what do I appreciate when people do for me? Um, and that that's sort of what started the list. It wasn't that I, you know, I'm I'm um, coming up with things out of the air or in sort of a very uh, philosophical sense. Like this is practical. People have done these things for me, and I really appreciated them. Yeah, it's excellent. And okay, so the next one is ask them to join you at the canteen for lunch or restaurant for dinner. And if you see them sitting alone, ask if you can join them. So simple, right? So simple. Um, Yes. I mean, you talked about high school cafeteria earlier. (laughs) Um, And, you know, being if you're alone all day, and you sit by yourself, and everybody sits down around you and, you know, has friends, um, that can be challenging. And a really good example, actually, um, I think it was through the FBSA Canadians group. Um, there was a, a girl coming up from northern Minnesota to a trial, because our trials are actually closer to her than what's going on in Minneapolis sometimes. 
So mm-hmm. she came up and she put on the list, hey, would anybody like to share benching or, you know, are you doing anything together? So first of all, like, I was like, you're the bravest person I know because I'm an extrovert and I would find that challenging. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, I, I told her I happened to be um, stewarding that day. I wasn't showing a dog. So I said, oh, I'll be stewarding in these rings. I'll probably see you. But let's make sure we at least connect to say hi at some point. And so we did connect at the end of the day. And a bunch of friends and I were were going out for dinner. And, you know, it's a large group. So there, there's always less pressure for introverts when you go as a group. So, I mean, to me, and this is just how I was raised, one more person and including something is is what um, I've been raised and have always done, you know? So I said, hey, do you want to come out for dinner with us? You know, we're, it's just across the street. We can leave the dogs here while we go eat. You don't have to worry about them. I mean, it was February in Manitoba, so we didn't have to worry about the cold or anything. Um, and she came out with us and we had a lovely, lovely dinner. But, you know, had we not offered that opportunity, she probably would have just gone back to hotel and eaten on her own. And we wouldn't mm-hmm. have um, made a really good connection with someone who's who's really cool um, and does some really neat things with her dogs. Um, so, you know, if, if you're going as a group, there's always less pressure um, than an yes. individual. But if, you know, if I happen to be, say, my group of friends, you know, Cause I don't have a lot of Rottweiler people that I travel with, you know? So, you know, sometimes my friends are getting, doing their pre-grooming uh, before they go in the ring and it's my time to get lunch. Um, you know, if I see somebody that maybe I haven't seen before, I might sit down with them. You know, I might sit down with them while I'm waiting for my order to be ready. Um, mm-hmm. And then if it seems really weird and awkward or if they don't seem to be, you know, comfortable with me, I can get my order and leave. <laughs> right. Um, right. If we're chatting well, then I can get my order and, and finish with them. Um, so, um, you know, eating together, again, it's one of those, you know, human things that we do, <laughs> um, you know, where we get together and share. And I know later on down, you know, you think, what am I going to talk about? I fill you all in later on down this list. So, um, <laughs> yes, sharing yes. a meal and definitely, you know, if you're the introvert, think about as a group, if a bunch of you are going um, about including somebody that maybe you've noticed is on their own, uh, traveling on their own, because um, it may just, that might be the highlight of their day, honestly. Yeah, Um, it could. And I've definitely been by myself at shows before and had the, you know, sometimes I want to be alone, but sometimes it's, it has been really nice to be invited to go to dinner, especially because that's kind of, like you said, humans eat together. mm -hmm. It's a thing we do. Yep. And and the (laughs) lovely thing about groups is if, you go and you finish your dinner and you're ready to go home, but everyone else want to, wants to stay for drinks. It's not a big deal with large groups. Yeah. You know, people not. can kind of come and go a little more um, fluidly that way. Yeah. And I, I totally get the needing to be alone. Um, I think yeah. that's, I highly identify with introverts sort of on that scale. The thinking and feeling for me is an internal thing um, on the Myers-Briggs. I've done it a thousand times and I've done the Myers-Briggs step two. Um, so me needing time to think and feel, I think is, is where I'm closest to my introvert friends and where I identify with that um, mm-hmm. and why I have a large collection um, because um, we, we're similar that way. Because you connect on that level. Yeah, so, and, and I understand they need the time and the space to, to think about Yeah, so. Yeah, for sure. You feel like an extrovert I could hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I shall add you to my collection. <laughs> <laughs> One more introvert for yeah. the cabinet. For Exactly. exactly. It's very hilarious. I always actually joke with Andrea Harrison that I need to write a book about the care and keeping of introverts. Oh my gosh, you should. <laughs> because 
is. I have so many introvert friends. Bestseller, I would say. <laughs> Bestseller. Um, so on the note of going out for a meal with someone you don't know, the next point is ask questions that show you're interested. And this one is important, I think, to unpack um, because, of course, there are questions that are weird mm-hmm. and there are questions that are not weird. Exactly. <laughs> and we, we want to, and I love that you mentioned like, Hey, you guys, the easiest thing to do is talk about dogs, oh, right? That is your common denominator. So talk about this one a little bit. So easy dogs. Okay. So, uh, same show actually that I was just talking about where, um, our friend down from the States came up. I was stewarding. I've never actually stewarded at a, like an all breed confirmation show. But that was my strategy mm-hmm. for not entering a dog was to volunteer because um, I always don't enter and then I get FOMO and then I enter and then I hate myself for entering. <laughs> so like, I'm going to steward this time because, you know, I generally enjoy that. And I've stewarded for rally and obedience and herding. So I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to be there with these judges and I don't know them. And, you know, they're judges. Like, what the heck am I going to do? So. You know, my thought immediately was, okay, if we have a period of time, I need to keep them busy. I'm going to ask them about their dogs and their breeding. Um, so it actually happened. I had, um, he was a permit judge and um, we actually happened to finish our group at the same time. Another group was finishing up. I don't know about the States, but in Canada, two groups won't show at the same time. So yeah. um, the other group finished before us. So they, um, they had already started. So he couldn't go. So um, he said, you know what? I'm I'm not judging this group this weekend. I wouldn't mind just hanging out near our ring and watching this group. And I thought, okay, well, I have at least like a half an hour to maybe fill with him if he's not super interested in this group. So we sat down and I said, um, you know, so tell me about your dogs. And he actually had, um, oh my goodness, I'm going to totally forget. <laughs> It's a toy breed. They have tons of hair. They're a breed I actually I don't understand at all. And that's totally what I said to him. I said, tell me about your breed. I don't get it. I've never actually put my hand on the dog, like the type of dog. So mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. got a lesson <laughs> in this breed. You know what? And so I, I could ask him, like, tell me about the breed. Like, what do you think about dogs that are being shown? What are the problems in your breed and confirmation? What are the problems in health? You know, what do you find, you know, you find a difference between Canadian and American dogs. Um, And so we were just chatting and it was such a cool conversation. And all of a sudden I realized that we have all of the professional handlers are standing around us and they're all lined up with their dogs for his group. And we've actually managed to have a conversation throughout the entire previous group and long enough for everybody else from our group to get ready and be waiting. And we're still sort of mid conversation. Um, So that time really flew by, but it was really easy because it's, you know, when you ask someone about their breed, you know, um, it's something they're passionate about. Right. So um, it's really easy to ask people about um, dog related things. So, um, you know, Rottweilers, Oh, you know, I've never seen Rottweilers do agility. Is that something that, you know, you look for in your breeding programs, how many Rottweilers do you think are doing agility? You know, there's just, mm-hmm. you know, any curious question, a breed related question is, um, I would say generally welcome. I have a friend that has um, bulldogs that does um, agility with her bulldogs. So I know um, in her case, she appreciates questions. Um, but with, with that breed, you know, 
if you started your, your conversation with her, oh, bulldogs are such a, bulldogs are such a genetic mess. How do you even get your dogs to do this sport? Probably not the way to start um, an open and and learning conversation, right? Um, That's exactly true. It kind of goes back to giving an honest compliment rather than opening with some kind of negative. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, obviously her dogs are doing agility. So, um, right. you know, so maybe a better question, you know, if it's someone with a brachycephalic breed is, wow, like what kind of things do you have to take into consideration showing your dogs that maybe I don't? And yeah. she could probably talk to you for 45 minutes about that because she's <laughs> very careful, you know, but if you start with the assumption that she's being cruel in one, owning these dogs and two, showing them, um, you probably haven't done a really good job of making her feel welcome. So um, yes, there are some questions that are probably not appropriate with dogs, but you know, think about being welcoming, not um, asking judgmental questions. Um, it's totally okay. You know, if you exhaust all of that, I think it's absolutely okay to talk to somebody, you know, my friend from Minnesota, you know, we could talk about the area. I've traveled a lot. So usually I'll say, Oh, you know, I might ask the casual question and this is the loaded one. And I highlighted in my, in my blog, Oh, you know, are you originally from Minnesota or is this someplace that you've come for school or for a job? And if they say, no, I'm originally from there, then I could talk to them about Minnesota. If they say, no, actually I'm originally from Southern Oregon. I can say, Oh, Epic breeders from there. I've been around there. Like where exactly are you from? What I don't do if someone's a person of color is do the, you know, no, but where are you really from? Um, uh, yes. Question. Right. Um, right. And um, I, I have a link in my blog. I'm not going to go into it. Um, but essentially, you know, if, if you're trying to ask questions that get to um, basically an answer that indicates someone is not from the U.S. or from Canada, um, there is a racist basis to those questions. And that's why they're considered mm-hmm. rude. If you're interested in learning more, um, you can you can click on the link to my blog. Um, asking where someone is from is okay, but asking where it's from sort of um, as a way to ask why they're brown and in the U.S. or Canada yes. is not okay. Yes. So um, don't be terrified of that question. Um, if it's coming from a meaningful place, usually the first answer will lead to other conversations. Um, asking the same question five times to get to the root of something. Um, that's just weird, racist, not cool. <laughs> I love it. And we are obviously going to be linking the blog in the show notes. And so, yes, that link is right there. So if people want to know more about how that can be problematic, um, it's laid out for you guys, plain and simple. And it's, I think it's, it's important. It's really good to talk about, you know, it's not about there are bad questions you need to be afraid of. It's about coming from, again, that genuine place and, you know, making sure too that you're, you're checking yourself and you're kind of checking your initial assumptions about a person and maybe just put them aside, ask the question, you know, are you originally from Minnesota? Right. I mean, that's not a hard question. That's not a rude question. Um, it becomes rude if you then go down the ladder. <laughs> yeah, if you escalate to, the questions. Yeah. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah, and, um, you know, you know, things kind of will flow organically because people will talk about their family or they might say back home. And then you can say, oh, where's home, right? Like there's, yeah. there's lots of organic yeah. ways you can ask those questions. I'll ask people about, you know, if they mention things, I'll ask them about family, you know, or, you know, 
you know, paying attention to what people are saying will, will lead, um, you know, if you're listening, will lead to, to other questions quite um, organically. Um, so, you know, you know, having, having your, your prepared cue card and, um, you know, hammering someone with a list of questions <laughs> isn't right. how I envision, you know, conversations going. But I do think that maybe if um, talking to people and speaking to people is maybe a little bit uncomfortable for you, it's good to have, you know, three or four questions sort of on your mind that, you know, if, if things get silent and awkward that you can ask, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, um, exactly. So dogs always generally safe. Family generally um, is safe. And you'll know once you start talking to people, you know, if they don't talk about their family, then maybe, um, you know, not safe or, but dogs, I find generally dog sports, how long they've been involved, any cool seminars they've been to recently. Um, I do find, (laughs) here's another sort of small caveat. I find um, maybe especially in the sport of agility, that we kind of have, um, we kind of have like handling camps, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I do yep. find that there can be some, I'll call it weird in group out group dynamics there. <laughs> yes. Um, I agree. So I think, um, maybe in that sport, we need to be conscious of, you know, well, I train with this person, you know, you know, <laughs> presenting things that way could be, um, a bit problematic. Um, or, you know, oh, you train with them could be, or you train that way. It could be semi-problematic. Um, I don't find, I don't find, it's fascinating. This is another rabbit hole I could go down. I really don't find that in a lot of other sports. Um, but no, it's true. It is, it is kind of unique to agility and it's, it's weird. Weird's the right word. Yeah. (laughs) It's probably, it's probably the one, the thing that I dislike the most about agility um, because in my experience with other sports, um, th- there's a lot to be learned, um, from having a wide, varied, um, number of styles and, oh, I guess, theoretical backgrounds to have to use mm-hmm. in your toolbox. But in agility, it seems like we do really, um, in general, <laughs> um, limit ourselves to a certain set of, of tools. But anyways... Again, it's a rabbit hole I could spend days. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And I think, you know, yeah, staying away from divisive questions in general yeah. is good. So if you're in agility, realize that that's an area where people feel divided. Yeah. And sometimes, and- sometimes, well, to me, because of who I am, someone will say, oh, well, I train this way. And I'll be like, okay, excellent. I want you to explain this to me because I don't understand it. Right. So you could come at it that way. That's a positive way to come at that versus, oh, well, we can't talk about agility because we do things differently. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes silently, that might be an appropriate way to approach a training issue. Maybe someone's, you know, more on the R plus side versus traditional training. You know, maybe we mm-hmm. just need to to let that go because we know it's going to be divisive and we don't really know each other that well. So maybe it's not as divisive as we might imagine it is at first glance. Um, so, yeah. you know, like to me, you know, when I hear you know, someone trades differently, I'm like, okay, this is my chance right? <laughs> to, to ask yes. someone about, okay, like explain this to me. I don't understand it. Um, so, you know, coming from a place of, of curiosity um, yeah. generally um, is is received well versus coming from a place of judgment, I guess is how I would approach questions. 
if you're absolutely and i think long long time listeners of cock dog radio will recognize um that stay curious or get curious is kind of something that i say a lot about people's dogs behavior so Mm -hmm. rather than kind of rather than instantly being upset about you know maybe your reactive dog's barky lunginess um get curious about it and it reframes so many things so i think staying curious about the person that you're talking to rather than you know curiosity and judgment don't exist in the same realm i don't think so so, no yeah so if you're curious about something then you aren't being judgmental because judgmental kind of you know that implies that you feel like you know right absolutely (laughs) yeah and being curious being curious is not knowing and being okay with not knowing and digging in deeper so that you understand better and i think i love that as a general being curious also acknowledges that um you know someone has knowledge that you don't and if you can recognize hey you know something that i i don't know and i'd love to learn from you which is sort of my relationship with the uh, mondeo guy um you know instantly he can feel respected for his knowledge you know uh he can feel respected for what he does know um, even if maybe, um, he wouldn't consider himself a hundred percent R plus, he knows that I'm curious about, you know, how does he work dogs at high arousal, um, mm-hmm. through that instinct to bite? Cause that's a really fascinating thing. <clears throat> um, and it's a skill that, um, not all people have. Um, so there's a lot that I can learn from him, um, about that. And he knows, you know, R plus is new to me and I, he's just figuring out like, the joy of shaping, you know, and he's just so fascinated yeah. by it that, you know, we're both acknowledging where our strengths are and the knowledge that we each have that the other doesn't. And the things that maybe we might um, disagree on, you know, as we get to know each other, I'm learning there's probably very little that we actually disagree on that, you know, when it comes down to it, it might be like 5% of what we do with dogs that we might not choose to do the same way despite quote-unquote labels if you will (laughs) exactly I think gosh we could go we could go so far um on that little piece of the conversation because man we need we need more of that we need more I think in dog training conversations that are based in curiosity rather than my way is right and your way is wrong yeah absolutely because um we really um in my opinion, shut down just a lot of learning. And I've, I've probably come to that because, um, you know, herding is what I would call a very, uh, you know, we have a, tra- it's a traditional sport. <clears throat> and, um, and I would say uh, bite sports as well are fairly, you know, they're, they're steeped in a specific tradition with a specific origin. And um, I think the newer sports don't have that. So it's easier for them to sort of, um, change and be more flexible in certain ways so if I want to learn about herding I have to be willing to go to places that maybe some R plus people aren't willing to go to get that learning done Um, and I've learned that if I can go and ask questions that acknowledge that um, knowledge that people have and figure out okay what's the important piece here what are we teaching our dogs and then evaluate you know is this something that I'm comfortable doing is it actually punishment or are we working with something else that um, I can get a huge amount of learning done if I can be, um, if I can be open to that knowledge. So I think, um, you know, in all things dog and all things dog people, if we can be that, 
that open, curious person, then um, we're going to be kind to people, but we're also going to become more knowledgeable as trainers. Absolutely. It's win, win, win. So let's jump into these last three points. The next one is offer assistance. And I love that you mentioned, you know, maybe stick to offer non-dog related help, like holding the door open or helping somebody carry their stuff rather than, hey, I know how to do this better than you, which really piggybacks off what we were just talking about. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, Holding a door. Um, If someone has multiple dogs and at a confirmation show and needs to take one back in the ring, offer to hold the other one, you know, um, Mm I've had, you know, someone's taking their setup down and they need a pair of scissors to cut zip ties. Here, do you want to use my zip tie, my scissors? It looks like it'd be a lot easier than that knife that you're trying to use and stab yourself with. I don't say stab yourself with, but you know, um, (laughs) you know, here, would you like to use this? Um, I've been at trials where um, a couple weekends ago, someone that's newer to trialing, um, they were crating out of their car. They had sheets to provide shade, but I had an extra reflective sunshade. So I said, Hey, do you want to use this? I have an extra one. The sheets are great, but this will just give your dog a little bit more, um, you know, it'll reflect a bit more sun and make the car a little bit cooler. You know, yeah. I had the extra one, you know, it, it was sitting in my car. It wasn't being helpful. So if I could offer that little bit of help, um, then, you know, it's, it's nice for that person. It, for that person that's new to trialing, maybe they, they don't even know what a reflective sunshade is right? Like right. <laughs> when you're yeah. new to these things, you know, cause you could, you could conceptually train rally all on your own at home and then come mm-hmm. to a trial and it'd be your first dog sport event. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that type of stuff. Yeah. The unsolicited advice. I know um, a couple of years ago I was at a trial, an obedience trial. I kind of knew where I was in my training. Wasn't let, let me say that I knew I was going into the ring, not as prepared as I would have liked to be. So um, I knew our performance wasn't likely to be perfect. It might be enough to get qualified. Lots of reasons for making those decisions. I literally come out of the ring and someone's there to tell me who I should go to for training. (laughs) The assumption being that I didn't know what I was training or how to train it. When in fact, I knew exactly where my problems were and what I needed to do to fix them. um, But didn't have the time to get there for that trial. So not qualifying is bad enough. <laughs> Having someone assume right. you have no idea what you're doing, although I'm sure in that person's mind they were being helpful. Um, right. But um, I, w- I would stay away from, from that kind of help. I know there's there's an article that's gone around. I think maybe Connie Cleveland wrote it about joy stealers. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, she did. I think, you know, making an effort not to be a joy stealer um, in your offers of quote-unquote help. Um, I have a friend with... Um, goldens that you know she shows her dogs but she also does a lot of retrieving trials you know had a vendor say look at her dog and say oh here i have i have the the perfect grooming product to make your dog's coat look good (laughs) you know is that helpful or is that helpful right like right right as a salesperson i mean i've worked in sales for years that's actually a really crappy sales technique Um, yes You know, the first question is, you know, to ask, you know, you know, if they're looking at your product, what kind of product they're looking for or what they're looking to improve, Um, you know, because your opinions really don't have much to do with um, what someone is training or what someone wants to buy. Um, So, um, you know, kind of staying out of staying out of joy stealing territory, you know, if someone asks for help, totally different, totally different, then you can offer that advice. But 
until you know somebody better, I would say stay away from quote unquote assistance um, that might be perceived again as judgmental. Like we said, it ties into the previous one. So helping someone bring stuff in, holding a door, you know, if I'm going to fill up my water bucket and I see yours is empty, I might say, Hey, do you want me to fill your water jug up when I go, you know, do this or, you know, simple stuff, having a poop bag, giving someone a poop bag if they're yes. out of it. Right. Like yes. very simple, but I think, um, my experience is helping somebody or, or offering help is um, a great way to make a connection. The easiest way to make a connection. Um, if it's, if it's given honestly and without judgment. Definitely. Definitely. So number eight, if you're a judge, steward, secretary, or member of the host club at an event, thank them for attending. This one is so important. Dog sports are not suffering from an excess of entries these days. True. Right? Yes. Um, Venues are getting more expensive. We need more entries to cover our expenses. Um, And and I say this from the perspective of someone I've hosted, I don't know how many rally trials. I've been a secretary for herding trials. Um, I judge uh, CARO, the Canadian Association of Rally Obedience. I'm a judge within that venue. Um, so, so I understand trials from, from all of those perspectives. And at the end of the day, if competitors are not willing to enter a trial, none of those people gets paid and none of those events are possible. So yeah. um, I think it's, it's important. And I've also been the person that, that is sitting there when someone's complaining about, you know, all the other people that didn't enter and I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, I did. So why don't you spend your time saying, you know what, thank you, Ioka, for spending $700 at this herding trial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of complaining mm-hmm. about the people that didn't, because that I, I can't do anything about them. You know, thank you for entering. Thank you for coming. You know, um, you know, it's really important to acknowledge that, um, the reason we can have these events is because competitors are willing to enter um, and, and everybody's money is the same, <laughs> you know, <That's> right. <laughs> you know, whether you win best in show or, you know, you take first in your class in a breed at a dog show, you still pay $30 an entry, yep. right? Uh, whether you qualify Absolutely. or not, your money is still, it's still the same money. Um, so I think, I think clubs in general where I am could probably do a better job. Uh, of welcoming. And it's certainly something that um, I make an effort to do if I'm sort of an official at trials, you know, thank you for entering. Thank you for coming. That kind of stuff is important to acknowledge that um, people are making a choice to come um, trial with us. And for me, sometimes that's the difference between "Eh, maybe I won't go to this trial, but I will go to this one. Yeah, money's for sure. Money's finite. Um, And if, if I know, you know, when one host seems to appreciate me coming more, to attend their trials. I mean, I know that's true for me with local agility trials, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go where you feel welcomed. Yeah. And that's, everybody does that. Yeah. That's big. Yeah. So the final point, if you witness racist behavior from other exhibitors, intervene. I think this is huge. Um, and I think, I think people need to hear it, basically. So talk about it. Okay, so... I say witness racist behavior. You will notice I didn't say witness racist behavior in the presence of a person of color. Yes. Okay. It's all, it matters all the time. Just because racist behavior occurs not in front of me does not make it okay. 
And I think this is where we have a lot of work to do. Um, and that um, I think, I guess more to the point, if we allow it to continue, sort of, oh, well, nobody heard it, so it doesn't matter. So we'll allow it to continue. Um, it will continue, right? Behavior. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's one of those behavior things, right? You know, behavior yes. that, that doesn't, um, you know, get met with, with consequences of any type. Um, you know, that's sort of in, encouraging it. Um, so I think when we hear and witness things, we need to say, you know what? Um, I don't, the common one that I, um, I encounter, because generally <laughs> people are smart enough not to say anything um, overtly racist <laughs> in front of me, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I, I will hear uh, references to maybe Roma people or Jewish people occasionally in common language mm-hmm. that are offensive. And I will say, you know what? Um, there's a different way that you could say that because that's, that's offensive. And um, maybe you didn't understand why that's offensive, but I'll explain it to you. Please don't say that again. We need to kind of attack it just that way, <laughs> you know, calmly, you know, um, what's the word? Matter of factly, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I mean, I work in retail with, um, you know, lots of people coming, you know, to their first job out of high school. So I have lots of experience, <laughs> you know, yeah. sorry, we can't have our cell phones on the floor. I'm paying you to work, not use your cell phone. Right. Like, yeah. And that's, yeah. that's sort of the tone of voice that I use is just, you know, firm, but, but clear, this behavior is not acceptable. Um, and I think we need to do, um, more of that. And I understand that conflict is really um, challenging for us, especially if maybe we hear a judge say these things or Mm. president of our club say these things. Um, But we really need to start letting people know um, very clearly that this is unacceptable. We could also go the route, in my opinion, that kind of behavior is also... um, uh, detrimental to the sport and unsportsmanlike like we could go the route of official mm-hmm. um, complaints but I actually think um, calling it when we see and hear it um, however we handle it you know sometimes I'll use a bit of humor to be like well you know I, I use humor a lot to, to sort of highlight wait mm-hmm. did you just say that in front of me like do you not understand mm-hmm. um, sometimes I use humor to indicate that something maybe isn't um, acceptable to me um, sometimes I'm just matter of fact, like not cool. Do not say that. But I think, um, we do need to be better at that. And there's, there's tons of resources and it's natural, even for myself, you know, sometimes people will say racist things to me and it, it it's not like racism is something I'm just experiencing now as an adult, like my entire right. life. Yes. Yes. You know, my first memories of school are being called nigger on the playground. You know, and and I say this, I grew up on a First Nations reserve, so nobody's skin was any lighter than mine, (laughs) but I was the only person of African descent there. Right. So that's those are my first memories. So it's not that racism is new to me, but sometimes when people say things, you know, and are meant, you know, really say things that are meant to hurt. It's so shocking to me. Um, And part of, you know, safety and you know, we, we all know about fight or flight, but we, we don't really talk a lot about freeze very often. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, I know when sometimes these things happen, because I myself do, we just freeze. We're just like, did that just happen? Oh my yeah. God. Right? So um, 
doing some learning and there's lots, if you're online, how to, how, um, how to be a better ally, how to intervene in, um, racist situations. Um, there's a lot about, actually, I've done a lot of my learning about, you know, sort of intervention from, um, our trans community, you know, how to intervene when, you know, maybe, um, a trans individual is being, um, you know, confronted or verbally assaulted. Um, there's a lot of resources out there and I'm going to, I'm going to put it all on you to go look it up. If this is important to you, um, they are there, you know, that gives you some very concrete, you know, here's what to do. Here's some things that you can say. Sometimes intervention is just getting someone to a place of safety. Yeah, right. For sure. They might just freeze in, um, in that scenario. Um, sometimes it might be, um, a friend of mine, um, actually shared with me this example. Sometimes it might just be if someone's in a, in a restroom and there's people outside that are being hateful towards them, hanging out with them until they're finished and then seeing them, you know, accompanying them out the door, um, Mm -hmm. to their vehicle. So, um, sometimes being there is intervening. Sometimes saying something is intervening. Sometimes tape recording is intervening, right? Yep, um, absolutely. So um, however you, I, I don't want to say however you are comfortable, but I would say, you know, do do some educating if this is important to you on how to intervene as an ally. You know, do some practicing. Think about what, um, what step, you know, is your minimum intervention step in these events and kind of have that at, at the forefront of your mind. Um, because whether I see it or not, it will make a difference if people um, can learn that this behavior is not acceptable anywhere, anyhow. Um, I've also seen it at dinners, you know, after a show with judges, judges say some pretty horrific things. Yes, um, for sure. That, you know, and I've said, well, like, are you serious? Like, did you just say that? Sometimes that's all it takes is, did you just say that? Or my, my other favorite one is, oh, what do you mean by that? Yes. Because that really forces people to think about what they just said. Absolutely, it does. And usually it forces them to confront the fact that what they just said, you know, A, that they didn't even think about it, which says a lot. Or B, when they think about it, they go, oh, right? So I, I think there's some lower confrontational ways to, to confront, quote unquote, people. But um, I, think, I think we could do a better job. I have to say... Um, online um, in our dog communities in general I think people are doing a pretty good job <laughs> of calling um, inappropriate it's things easier. It, yeah I think it's easier behind the screen yep yeah. it, it's easier and it's not I mean your name is still there if you're using you know true um, it's still not it's not easy it is I, I find it easier yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. it's easier but it's still important right because to me, yes. if you're willing to write something down that's racist on Facebook, which, you know, for all intents and purposes is there for all eternity, um, yes. <laughs> y- yeah, you have to be pretty committed to it. <laughs> like, uh-huh. True. <laughs> I mean, it's and true. even if you delete it, there's such a thing as screenshotting, as I'm sure we're Absolutely. all aware. Um, yep. So um, I think, I think that uh, wherever we are, that we see these kinds of things in the dog world, that they need to be addressed. Um, and I know, um, speaking of online, I know in some instances where it's occurred online within communities that I'm in, sometimes um, 
that intervention has been a person um, messaging the offender directly, maybe not posting publicly, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. as an int- you know an introvert, maybe writing a direct message to somebody is a little bit easier than making um, a, a public post, and that's that's awesome in my opinion. Like I don't I don't care whether you do it publicly or privately, but if you let somebody know that their behavior is unacceptable, however you can, um, then you've done that. Um, but if, if we're silent, you know, and we just talk about it behind, you know, outside of groups and behind closed doors, oh, that was so awful. I can't believe that happened. Well, as a black person, I want to know what you're doing to make sure that's not happening again, you know, yeah, and I agree think- with me about how awful it is comes back <laughs> to, um, you know, it's the hair pulling and pearl clutching. It's, um, yes. it's yes. Uh, performative if you're not actually doing something about it to follow up. So, um, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I don't have time for performative stuff anymore. Um, I want to know what you're doing. (laughs) We absolutely, there is no more time for that. No, no. And just globally, there's no no time for that. No. And, and, and as, as a, again, like I say, not my first racist rodeo, but, um, really actions and behavior, (laughs) Um, speak more to me um, these days than, um, you know, what you say. Um, it's great that Black Lives Matter to you. I'd like to know right. what you're doing about it. How are right. you, um, you know, as an individual, as, you know, as a human being, as a professional, as a dog trainer, um, those are the things now that that I'm sort of taking note of. Who's talking and who's walking, <laughs> Um, so, you know, this is, this is a good example of walking, um, Sarah, and I'm, I'm really, um, pleased that, that you're doing it. It gives me some hope, (laughs) um, (laughs) for the dog training community when there are leaders who are willing to say this, this isn't right. We, we need to hear from other people and we need to start doing some things differently because I mean, I, I understand the risk that, um, that presents, Right. Um, yeah. And I'm so grateful that you agreed to do this because I recognize the emotional labor that comes with things like this. Um, and so I just, I really appreciate that. And on this point, number nine, I just wanted to mention a couple of things. One of them being, we all make mistakes. And so if you are the person getting called out, it is so important that you, respond to that with grace and gratitude rather than kind of that knee-jerk anger or you know defensiveness it sucks to get called out but it's so important it sure does yes yeah um and 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 I can say that as someone not on race necessarily but I mean I'm an extrovert so sometimes I say things you know things come out of my (laughs) mouth and someone will say uh I like, did you, like, what, maybe you didn't think this through, like, could, yes. could you possibly understand? And I think, oh, oh no, like, you know, but mm-hmm. the, the way I, the way I look at this is um, that somebody trusted our relationship so much yeah, that they were willing to say to me, hey, Ioka, you made a mistake you know, that, that probably hurt somebody really badly. Um, they trusted that I would acknowledge that I hurt somebody and I would make it right. So 
I see I see call out behavior as 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 trust in a relationship and there is nothing more hurtful a person can do um, than to sort of throw that trust away by denying that something inappropriate happened. That is such an important reframe, I think, of this. Yeah. Seeing seeing a call out as an act of solidarity almost, like an act of like, hey. An act of trust, like, hey, I know this is yeah. not who you are. Yes. I care about you enough to hold you accountable to your own principles, or at least your principles as I know you to hold them. Yes, holding someone to high standards means that you see them that way that you see them with mm-hmm. as having high standards and, and I it's a compliment and really. I've had to walk back um I've yeah. had to walk back but um generally you know on Facebook I'll leave I'll leave my my um <laughs> inappropriate comments and then you know if someone takes the time to read down they'll see oh you guys you know what someone mentioned this I I didn't even consider it I am so sorry I will make a big effort to Mm -hmm. rectify this and not make the same error in the future because doing that and saying that just takes it it just has this magical ability to take all the hurt and anger out of a situation when you can do that and if you can't do that it's kind of like pouring oil on a fire (laughs) absolutely Um, you know you have to acknowledge that that even if maybe you didn't intend to that you did hurt somebody and that's ultimately all that counts is is what's happened to somebody. And I'm not going to say that sometimes someone will say, Hey, you know, this was hurtful that I go, you know, I can see why it's hurtful, but I stand by what I've said. I'm not going to say I'll apologize in every scenario. Um, but I'm also willing to accept the consequences of not apologizing in those scenarios. There are some things that are not up for debate in my universe. Um, as I think we should all have those things that are not up for, um, totally. Um, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm certainly open to, you know, words, words, absolutely. And I, I think that comes from, you know, growing up and understanding that words, words are hurtful, man. You know, they are only words, but they can do um, a lot of damage. And especially if you're a person in any kind of position of power, whether you're a trainer, you know, whether you're a trainer at your dog sport club, whether you're a competitor in a venue, whether you, um, you know, own a, um, a chain of dog sport, uh, of dog um, training facilities. Um, if you're in any sort of relative position of power, um, you need to be careful about these things and and be willing to sort of walk it back a bit and say, huh, yeah, I did make a mistake there. Because we're human. We're absolutely human. Yes. <laughs> and as yes. an extrovert, I mean, my humanness is brought to my attention on a regular basis. Um, <laughs> and usually what my what I would consider my good friends are, are reminding me that, you know, maybe my words aren't completely aligning with my values. And, you know, that's, that's where I go back to when I'm struggling with something is what are my values? And if I'm not aligning with those values, then I need to make some changes. So uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, be (sighs) humble isn't the word, or maybe humility is the word. I don't know what the word is for it. But, um, you know, making a mistake is, is human. How we handle that mistake, I think, um, probably speaks more to uh, who we are as a human being than anything else, I guess. I think so. I think, you know, recognizing that we will 
have missteps and appreciating it when we have opportunities to learn from those missteps is yeah. is really is really what we're about is what we need to be about i think so i think you know if if um dog sports and dog shows are important to us then we do need to acknowledge that there's all sorts of people that um, come to these events and that we do need to sort of um, be conscious about including them. And I have to say this list that I, I wrote, um, it actually, um, for the dog trainer, NaNoWriMo, the national writing mm-hmm. month, um, I actually, um, at least half of it came from a blog post I started about uh, welcoming newcomers to dog sports. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. directed to people of color. <laughs> Um, cause you know what? We're people too. Um, yeah. <laughs> this may shock you. Um, but you know, you know, brown people are people essentially we're brown and our, our experience certainly in society is different, but that doesn't mean that, um, you necessarily would need to welcome us in other ways, you know, in a special yeah. way, there's no special handshake. All that we need uh, people to do is recognize that there might be some challenges um, if, if you've, anybody has done any reading about implicit bias, it doesn't matter whether mm-hmm. you think you are racist or not, you are scientifically, <laughs> we have shown that we do, um, well, people of all colors, um, at yes. least in North America will, um, you know, implicitly favor lighter skinned people. So whether you think you are racist or not, um, you probably do show some bias in your behavior and to be conscious of that when welcoming new people. Um, so um, if you're conscious of knowing that, you know what, probably as a human being, I'm less likely to be welcoming to someone with darker skin. If you have that at the forefront, then maybe having that darker skin newcomer, maybe being the first person you welcome, you know, sort of on your checklist of welcoming newbies um, will help counteract a bit of that. Um, and then you can move on to the rest. So for approximating behavior, I think that's a really good place to start. Um, as a brown person, I go there naturally, but, you know, I look at, for me, where my work is internally is looking at um, being more welcoming and inclusive to um, trans individuals, to people with mm-hmm. physical disabilities, um, you know, because that's not my experience. So I know internally I need to do better work there. Um, about um, recognizing my own biases as a uh, cisgendered, heterosexual, you know, able-bodied person. Um, yeah. I, I still have work to do. Doesn't mean I'm perfect at all. Um, and I've got some really awesome people in my life that are good at holding me um, to account um, on those values. And also, just because I, this is an excuse that I feel like I've been hearing a lot. Let's say you do only know, you know, white, cisgendered, <laughs> able-bodied people. That's actually on you. That doesn't have, you know, it is, it is time to, you know, broaden horizons and just kind of open, open your eyes and your doors um, to just kind of go recognize that you have that implicit bias Mm -hmm. and that it is important to know that you've got it. And so when you see somebody that is different from you in any of those ways, make that extra effort to be welcoming to that person so that you do start to expand your world. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and again, 
human nature. You know, we we tend to stick with people that are like us, physically, yeah. ideologically, religiously. Yeah. You know, we sort do. of you know going into those groups. But uh, um, I think what most of us find is once we start expanding our our circles a little bit, um, is that um, you know that enriches our lives and those multiple perspectives um, are are such wonderful learning opportunities if we go in from um, that non-judgmental curious frame of mind right like there's no point in having yes. a gay friend to check that off on your list right <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> this is not a checklist because I know we, we have yeah. we have you know in dog training as dog trainers we generally are these organized people that like checklists and you know we have our puppy yes. socialization checklist now let's have our we have our, <laughs> we have our whiteboard yeah, yeah. we have our whiteboard so, with you know, our people written on it yes. yeah you know human beings are, are shouldn't be seen as sort of checklists or goals but you know if you're opening and curious um towards people in your community that do have the same interest dogs um yeah you you're just it's um actually I <laughs> I've been developing a webinar on this is you know as we create more connection um our you know I think our experience and our our learning deepens in a way that um doesn't happen in other ways um and we're, we're opening um ourselves up to better learning and becoming better trainers and better teachers um so well I'll be really interested in that so when it is ready we'll let, let me you know. know yeah I'll make sure that I share it with everybody Ayoka let's wrap up and is there any is there anything else that you would like to add I don't think so I think we covered we covered quite I think we a, covered a lot uh, yeah and I I'm impressed at how um quickly we did it um no I think it's all covered there you know the only thing I'll add is I'm sure you'll add in your show notes you know ways to contact me if you'd like to, um, if you're struggling, you know, I, I like to tell people I'm here, you know, I've had people message me like, Oh, I made this mistake. What do I do? I feel awful for, you know, something I did, or I don't know how to approach this issue without being, you know, I'd like to be sensitive about something, but I don't know how to approach it is that, mm -hmm. um, I love that people are thinking about it and I'm absolutely here to provide, um, you know, what advice I can. I mean, you know, people of color are not a monolith. Um, I can certainly provide my own experience and maybe contacts within other communities um, if you're struggling with issues. But I think acknowledging that we're struggling and looking for help on how to address things is a first step. And that's something that I'm absolutely committed to um, if I can recognize that you're doing something in good faith, you know. Yeah, um, if you come to sure. me with a checklist, I'm probably <laughs> going to be busy. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, if you come to me with something specific that you, that you or your organization is struggling with, then, you know, I'm a thousand percent here to help um, in whatever way I can. Because, again, we, we, we aren't born knowing everything. And I absolutely acknowledge that. Um, but um, taking that step to go, hmm. I definitely could do better in this area. Um, and being able to do that for yourself um, tells me that you're, you're doing some work and you know, you are approaching things in good faith and um, looking to make dog training and the world in general um, a better and more welcoming place. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end. Thank you so much, Ayoka, for your time today. You're very welcome, Sarah.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, being a part of the Cogdoc Radio community, and getting access to all kinds of extras, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio to become a patron.